Well, kids, you can take off for Grace Kids. And uh, so we had a little week. Every time we do a video announcement from the main campus like that, we always forget about letting the little kids go. So go on, kids. You can take off. And if you're an adult and you feel like a little kid, you know, we identify as everything around here. So just feel free to go ahead and be a part of that. Uh, real quick about the, the Thailand video there. Some of you may know this. Some of you may not. Um, but um, we have two orphanages. Uh, in Thailand, as well as uh, support a, a school in Chad, Africa. And um, so Fremont, the, our main campus, I guess you can call it, they, uh, they kind of take um, the lead in that. And at some point in the future, as we grow and as we can be a part of that financially, uh, we will also be able to help out with that. Uh, but that is something we want to make you aware of and let you know about that that's what goes on. So Pastor Kevin... And Pastor Mike, with some people from uh, Fremont, and I think maybe some Tiffin people, uh, have gone over there and just checking on things, seeing how everybody's doing. Uh, so they're there for two weeks. Be praying for them, and it's a great, a great time for them. I don't know how they handle the, the long plane ride, personally. Um, I don't think I could do it. I get claustrophobic in airplanes, and that's just a little bit too long for me to be stuck looking down the aisle, waiting for the flight attendant to come with some more food or, or drink, you know, keep me to keep me uh, preoccupied. Anyways, um, yeah, okay, so the kids are gone. So now we can talk. No. Uh, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11, just work through uh, verse 22. Next week we'll uh, tie chapter 3 into chapter 4 when we get there. There's a lot of information this morning, and so I'm not going to do a review of the last couple weeks. I sometimes like to do that to catch everybody up. Um, but I'm not going to do that. You can catch up with us by going to Facebook or going to our podcast and finding last week's and the week before last message. All of these build on the last one. Okay, So we're always building towards something, especially when we're doing a, a book study like we're doing through Ephesians. And so it's really important for you to stay connected with what we're doing here because if you miss a week, you might be kind of going, wait a second. Because again, I don't have time to put it all back together for you. Um, so, uh, make sure you're reading in Ephesians. And what I would encourage you to do is at least take one chapter a day. And so through this series, you'll read through it um, you know, six times or seven times. Uh, it's short enough where you could read it every day. You know, take about 20 minutes to read through it every day. And that way you'll also be able to stay with us in what we're doing Again, huge stuff, huge information that we've received from God about this incredible salvation that He's given us. And we've been using Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, where Paul, just at the end of talking about all this incredible salvation that God has given us, he says He's able to abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. And I know it's very wordy, but I think it kind of explains this. This is beyond our comprehension at times. Uh, that God would, would love us so much that he would forgive us of all of our past sins, even the ones that we look back and say, we, you know, we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. God is offering to do that if we'll simply trust him. And so today, we're going to look at something that's abundantly beyond all we could ask or think, which, by the way, is Abawakat, if you're going to do like an acronym, Abawakat, okay? Okay, listen. Now... The music guys, the only timing they have is musically. Their humor is not, their timing and humor, 
I mean, I, I appreciate the courtesy laughs you guys gave them. No, I was kidding. But my humor, that's undeniable, right? I mean, that is funny stuff. Thank you. So the, the acronym is Abuacat. There, okay, so. All right, forget it. So God's got this amazing plan. I use the word amazing. God has this amazing plan. See, here's the deal. The salvation that he's given us, that he's provided for us through Christ, is not just for us to get to heaven. It's not just fire insurance, as some people would call it. You know, don't want to have to go to hell, so I'm going to go to heaven, put my faith in Christ. God's doing something that is far beyond what we could ever think. And I might be able to touch on it a little bit next week, more than I'm going to do today, but we talked about last week about the fact that he's put us on display. And he's put us on display not just to people around us, but he's put us on display to the the spiritual world even. And it's almost as if God is saying, especially like to Satan and the demons, those who followed after him, he's almost saying, there's no way in the world you guys could ever come up with this. You know, Satan, the reason why he was kicked out of heaven and from God's presence is because he wanted to be God. And God's saying, you couldn't even come up with this. And so, not only could he, uh, people couldn't come up with this idea of salvation through a God who puts on flesh and dies for mankind, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. I guess I did a little review there. Um, but he's, he's also bringing two groups of people into one body. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today in chapter 2. The fact that God is, is using us to draw others to Him for salvation. People from different nationalities, different backgrounds, different personalities. And, and He's using us, and He wants to use us in order to draw them to Him so they can join in with what Paul talks about as this new man. And that word of new man actually means new race of people. So we've got a bunch of different races in the world, right? Different nationalities. And so God is forming through Christ, or in Christ, another race, as it were, made up of everybody from all nationalities who are of the race, if you want to put it this way, Christian. You know? um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we, we go along. But this isn't, uh, this isn't easy to do. Because... We have so many different nationalities, so many different cultures, so many different differences in people that it makes it kind of difficult to do. Even once people put their faith in Christ, you find churches that have divisions and frustrations and issues because we all come from different backgrounds. And what was happening in the first century was the Jewish, some Jewish people were coming to Christ and some Gentiles, which we'll talk about what that means in a little bit, they were coming to Christ and when they were coming to Christ into one body, which is also called the church, they, they were having trouble. They were having difficulties. And so one of the reasons why Paul is writing this letter, which, by the way, will also be sent around to all the other churches, why he's doing that is to bring some understanding about um, what it meant to be not just a follower of Christ, but to be a part of this new race, this new body of believers called the church. In the first century their uh, differences were primarily around religion. And in the Jewish case, it was religion and nationality because it's the only nation in the world that's also a religion. Okay? So you don't have um, 
You, know, you have people who live in Israel who are Jewish by birth, and then they're also Jewish by religion if they so choose. But like people who are Christians, there's no nation of Christiana, you know, uh, where everybody comes from. Or if you're Muslim, there's no um, country that is Muslimana, you know, again, whatever. It's just, that's a religion. Christianity, in that sense, is a religion. So we come from different backgrounds. But in this case, this was a, a division. And what was happening is, Jewish people coming to Christ were having a hard time putting away what they grew up with, their Jewish religion, and were looking at the Gentiles as maybe you know, second-class citizens. And then the Gentiles who were coming to Christ, they, they were feeling like, well, actually, we're not Jewish, and Jesus was Jewish, and so how do we actually fit into this? And so they kind of felt like second-class citizens. And then some Jews were saying, hey, you have to actually follow the Jewish law if you want to be a follower of Christ, which was wrong, and Paul addresses that. So there was division, and there was issues in the church because they didn't quite understand what this salvation meant. And so Paul writes about it here in, in all of Ephesians, but certainly in 11 and 22. So let's read, uh, let's read the, the first couple verses here. That's kind of where this late starts out. He's talking about their religion. So he's talking primarily to the Gentile Christians, the non-Jewish Christians. So in a Jewish mind, there was Jews and there were non-Jews. There's only two people in the world. The Greeks thought the same way. And the Greeks thought there's Greeks and there was non-Greeks. Jews called non-Jews Gentiles. Greeks called non-Greeks barbarians. So you can kind of tell, you know, what people think of other people. Um, so Paul is, kind of, is reminding the, the Gentiles because uh, the Ephesian church is primarily a Gentile church with some Jews in there, Jewish believers in there. But he's, and in that sense, he's reminding the Jewish people as well. But it says this, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which was one of the religious rituals that the Jews would do to show that they were following God, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate, at the time of time prior to Christ, when the Jewish religion was how God was operating. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and with God, without God in the world. So before I get into that, I just kind of thought maybe it would be a good thing to back up about 5,000 feet, get up about 5,000 feet, and kind of take a big picture look at what it is that God's doing in the world in general, okay, before we kind of get into, because it plays into what's going on here. God has always been and will always be a God who desires to reveal Himself. He wants those who He's created to know who He is. And in revealing Himself, He wants to show us and tell us that He wants to restore our relationship with Him. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of His perfection. We can't be in a relationship with him because of that. It, you know, it says here, remember you formerly before this. If you remember last week, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, remember before you were dead in your trespasses and sins, so we're spiritually dead prior to Christ. And so, um, God has always been working to restore this relationship. And he's done it um, one way, but with different methods. And so the one way to have a relationship with God is through faith. 
And we see that all throughout the Old Testament, and this is the key thing, we see it as we look back on the Old Testament, the problem is the Jews didn't see it as they were living through the Old Testament. Okay? So, for instance, there's a key phrase in the Old Testament, the word righteous. And so, when God declares somebody righteous, what He's saying is, you, person, are right with me. You are, or you're good to go. You and I are in relationship. So Noah, and I'm going, before Israel was ever formed, there's Noah, right? Noah was a righteous man. What does that mean? Righteous meaning that he had a relationship with God based on faith. That he believed what God was saying about what salvation was going to be. And in this particular case, the ark. And so he believed that God, that he was going to find salvation in the ark. And so he believed God. God said, you're righteous because you believe me. And then he went ahead and built the ark based on his faith in God. He didn't build the ark to be saved. <laughs> he built the ark, ark because salvation was going to come from God. And that was just happened to be the way to do it. Okay? So, and, I'm, and there's more to that with I'm sure Noah knew more than what the Bible tells us about the future. Abraham, same thing. God said, hey, Abraham, I want to be your God. So Abraham at this time was not a God follower. God comes to Abraham and says, hey, I want to be your God. And so he says, and if you, if you take me as your God, I want to initiate this relationship. And if you do, here are the things that are going to happen. I'm going to make out of you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you wealth. And I'm going to, give, you know, just, I'm going to make you a nation. Obviously, a nation needs a place to be. And a nation needs to have money. And, and I will bless you. And then through you, I will bless the world. And so, God's like, you in? Abraham's like, I believe you could do that. I'm in. And God said, you are righteous. And so what did Abraham do to demonstrate his righteousness? He obeyed God and he moved, eventually, to the land that was going to be called Israel. And so his faith caused him to be obedient and do what God called him to do. His obedience didn't save him. His faith in God is what saved him, to use New Testament terms. Israel, so as we look here in in verses 11 and 12, Israel, God came to them in Exodus 19, and he came to them as a nation, and he said, I want to be your God. So he initiates a relationship with Israel, and he says, I want to be your God. And if, I, if you let me be your God, if you come into a relationship with me, here are the things I'm going to do. He lays out all this blessing. And he said also, by, by the way, if you want me to be your God, but you don't live it out, this, was gonna, this is what's going to happen. But they're like, no, no, don't worry about that. Yes, we want this relationship with you. He said, great. And again, this is a Harold Bierga paraphrase. You can read it in Exodus 19, but... He says, I'll be your God. They say, we want you to be our, our God. We're going to put our faith in you. So now the relationship's initiated. He says, great. Now what I want you to do so I can show you who I am, reveal a bit more about myself, and so that I can use you to reveal me to other nations. Here's this worship structure called the Law of Moses. Mosaic Law. The Law. You know, It's called different things in Scripture. But it's a worship structure that they were to then uh, demonstrate their faith and understanding of who God is through these rituals and traditions. Okay, But it wasn't the rituals that saved them, it was their faith in God 
as a nation and as individuals that saved them, they just demonstrated that with, uh, with how they worshipped. Okay, does that make sense? Because it plays into what we're talking about here. See, the problem is when man forgets that, and man begins to start thinking that, oh, religion is how I get to God, then religion automatically becomes a barrier. It's a division. It, it blocks people off from God and from each other. Because it, what it is, it's, it's saying these are the rituals you have to do. And in, in Jews, uh, the Jewish situation is not only that, but you had to, you had to become Jew, a uh, Jew. And so a non-Jew would have to become a Jew in that sense. And so there's a nationality thing connected with it, which was kind of a difficult thing for Gentiles to deal with as well. Because who, who wants to stop being, you know, I don't want to stop having my Norwegian heritage, right? I mean, I'm American, but I have Norwegian heritage. I don't want to stop doing that. And, and so the, the, the problem we have is that this religion became a barrier between people and God and between other per, uh, people. So man-made religion builds barriers or divides. But God-initiated relationship brings unity. So that's kind of our, our point of truth. Notice how I spell point. Well, you know, that's just me. You know, cute like that. Well, some of you might be thinking, wait, 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 wait a second. Isn't that what Israel's religion did? Didn't Israel's religion purposely cause a barrier between Gentiles and God and Gentiles and Jews? Yes and no. Some of it was designed and some of it was caused because of what Israel chose to do. So it's true that God had get, was choosing at that time to have a, um, a relationship in a sense of, uh, with Israel in a sense of using Israel to reveal who he is and what salvation was by faith. Okay? So he was using Israel and their worship structure to do that. Um, and there's also some promises and stuff that he gave to Abraham that's only going to happen for Israel. It's not going to happen for us who are not Jewish people and, and that kind of stuff. But when it comes to faith in God, when it comes to a relationship with him through faith, that's for everybody. And it's always been for everybody. And so uh, the religion in one sense, yes, kept Gentiles away, but it was more in the sense of they, they would have to... Um, John Piper, a pastor here in the United States, he used this phrase that the Old Testament religion was a come and see. And so as, as the nations around Israel saw how great God was and how blessed they were, we know that didn't actually end up happening because they, they were disobedient to God and wouldn't live this life that God encouraged them to have. But if they had done that, then the nations around them would have gone, wow, you got an awesome God. And they're like, yeah, well, come here and find out how... What that's all about. And so they would come to the temple. That's where God's presence was. And they would come there, and they, there was a section called the Court of the Gentiles. Eventually, that's what they named it. And the Gentiles could come there, and the Jews could evangelize them, could tell them about this God. And if they chose to put their faith in this God, they too then would be able to become Jewish in religion by practicing, by being circumcised, by 
sacrificing and by doing all the different offerings and, and the different things that Israel was doing in order to show that they had faith in God. So they could be a part of it, and they would find faith in God. But here's where the barrier came in. The barrier came in when, for a Gentile, like I said, would have to become Jewish. And that would be kind of difficult for some people. They wouldn't want to become associated nationally with another nation. They wanted to be who they were. And more than that, they liked the God that they had, and they wanted to worship the God that they had because that God allowed them to do the life that they wanted to have. <laughs> okay? So they, man has, man's pretty good at this. Man wants to do certain things that God says don't do. Man wants to do them, so what he does is he comes up with a, a religion that works for him. And so then he devises this religion that lets him do all the things he wants to do and calls it a religion. That's what my God is. You know. So Israel, sadly, they kind of went down that road. So by the time we get to Jesus' day, their religion, what God had given them, was really not at all what God had given them because of what they've done. To make matters worse, the Jews hated anybody who was not a Jew. So they, they looked at themselves and say, hey, uh, we have a relationship with God. You don't. And we had that relationship because uh, you know, we're special. God chose us. God chose Abraham. And so we came out of Abraham and God must have thought we were a lot more special than you guys are. And so they became very spiritually arrogant. Because God, in His grace, and His sovereignty, chose to work with Israel. He could have chosen any nation in the world. Any person in the world. But He happened to just choose Abraham. Why? He's God. He made the choice. We can ask Him when we get to heaven. But they thought, well, we're pretty special. They also didn't like the other nations because the other nations persecuted them so much. So they didn't like how they were treated. So they're like, well, we're going to keep God for ourselves and we're going to hold you at arm's length from us and you can't have our God. Now, that's not what God wanted, but that's what Israel did. And before we start thinking more holier than we should, Christians do this all the time. God has chosen us to have a relationship with us through faith in Christ. We accept that. And then we start looking at other people in our lives and we're like, man, I don't really, I don't appreciate the way they treat me and I don't appreciate the way they deal with me and ah, I'm supposed to share God with them? You, no, I think we're going to hold on to that. We, either, we even sometimes create our church services in such a way so that if somebody who doesn't know Christ walks in, they're so uncomfortable and feel so out of place that they're never going to come back because we have our own language. You know, we have our own way of doing things. Which, by the way, we don't do that here. We, we try to do things in such a way that if a person comes in who doesn't know Christ, they feel like, oh, okay, I want to hear more about this God that you guys keep talking about. So this worship structure that, structure that God gave Israel, and more than that, how Israel chose to practice it, became a barrier. Actually became a barrier between them and God because they didn't, worship God correctly, but it also became a barrier between the Gentiles and God, and it became a barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. So God does something that's abundantly beyond all we could ask or think, and says, I'm going to get now 
I'm not just getting personally involved in it. I'm going to put some flesh into it. I'm going to put my own flesh and blood into what needs to happen in this world. And so he chose at this particular time in history when the Roman government was over Israel and Israel hated the Romans, he chose to come in the flesh. God the Son put on human flesh. Because what he needed everybody to understand was that a relationship with God comes through faith in God. And what better way to do that than God Himself showing up and doing what needed to be done that the animal sacrifices back in the Old Testament could never fully do. So, we see when Jesus comes, this relationship is what unites. So He's uniting both groups to God by destroying the barrier. The thing that divided man from God and man from each other. And so we see through Christ, starting in verse 13, it says this, but now in Christ Jesus, kind of like up in chapter 2, verse 4, right? But God, so now it's but now in Christ Jesus, you who are formerly, uh, formerly were far off, Gentiles, been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in His flesh the enmity. What's the enmity? The dividing wall. The, the religion that had been formed, um, especially after they got their hands on it. Which is a law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in Himself He might make the two into one new man. There's that phrase, one new man, one race, one new race, thus establishing peace. And might reconcile, in other words, make right, uh, the relationship basically. So reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. By it having put to death the enmity. And He came and preached peace to you who are far away, Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, Jews. Why? Because they had the Word of God. If they understood it properly, this wouldn't have been an issue. But they didn't. Okay, So, the Jews. For through Him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. I realize I didn't explain the whole Gentile thing. Um, Jews called Gentiles. You don't see it in the Old Testament except for one place. But in Jesus' time, they called them Gentiles. Gentile means wild dog. Okay, So, that's what they thought of them. And just think about it. So, if a Jewish person who says, I worship God is calling everybody else in their life who's not Jewish a wild dog, what are they thinking their God, Israel's God thinks of them? That they're dogs. You know, why worship a God? You know, so they're right there. That's a, a major division. They also prayed, uh, when they prayed to God, they also prayed, thank you that you didn't make me Gentile. <laughs> you know, so, you know, they had some kind of an issue going on there. And again, Christians, sadly, from time to time, we do that as well. So, man-made religion divides. God-initiated relationship unites. At first, it unites us in Christ. So, our relationship with God now would never be mistakenly connected to a nationality. You don't become a United States citizen in order to become a Christian. If you think of it that way. And so, a relationship with God would no longer be connected to a nationality. It's going to be connected to God Himself through Christ, God the Son. It was never meant to last forever. The, the Jewish law was never meant 
to last forever. And it was given to us as a tutor. So Paul talks about this in Galatians. He says this, But before faith came, so faith in Christ, before Christ came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor. So this worship structure has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so we may be justified, declared not guilty by God through faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. We're no longer under this worship structure. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, that's what happens at salvation, have clothed yourselves with Christ. And so Jesus broke down the barrier. He removes the worship structure. No more worrying about that worship structure. Focus completely on God through faith in Christ. And He was the perfect sacrifice. He was 100% God and 100% human being. Man. He was infinitely powerful and humanly perfect. That's the perfect sacrifice. Got a couple of verses here in Hebrews. So the author of Hebrews kind of breaks this down. It's just an awesome book. Uh, it says this, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, talking about Jesus Christ. So he's putting it into Old Testament terms. Okay, So holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests of the Old Testament, the old worship structure, to offer up sacrifices first to, for his own sins. So he's, these priests they had to sacrifice these animals first for their sins, and then they sacrificed again for the sins of Israel. But it didn't have to happen, because Jesus was perfect. So he wasn't dying for himself, he was dying for us. And then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. Which, by the way, that's why you guys don't need me when it comes to making things right with God. Because I'm weak. And i got nothing to sacrifice for you. Because God did it all through Christ. And that's how you want it. And personally, that's how I want it. I'd rather not be the one um, responsible for your spiritual life in that sense. He goes on to say in verse, uh, chapter 9, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, the one in heaven. Because this is where God is. All right? It's not the one in the temple on earth. It's the one in heaven. Not made with hands, because God made it. That is to say, not of this creation. And not through the blood of goats and calves, not an animal, but through His own blood. He entered the holy place once for all. There it is again. Having obtained eternal Redemption. In other words, eternal forgiveness which we talked about in chapter 1. So he, he breaks down the barrier which divided us. He brought peace between God and man. So that's how he broke down the barrier and now he brings peace between us and God and between us, people. So first he does this. Romans 5.1 talks about with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, there's that phrase again, declared righteous by God based on our faith in what He said would happen through Christ. We have peace, everything is good, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then He talks about the fact that He's brought peace between people. He's made us one new race, one new um, uh, nationality, if you want to call it that, a spiritual nationality, if you want to call it that. So in other words, location, 
uh, skin color, language, culture, political position, religion, name it. They all cause problems and divisions, right? Don't we see that in our world, in our country? These things all bring division. There's only one person who happens to be God as well who brings unity. So our peace is in Christ. Galatians 3, Paul says it this way, there's neither Jew, so once you put your faith in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave or free, man, there's neither male nor female, for you, those who you just listed, Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. Not nationally, but spiritually, in the sense that we've placed our faith in God. Just like Abraham put his faith in God, and God called him righteous, we put our faith in God, God calls us righteous. It's the same thing, just different periods of time. Heirs also, or according to the promise. The promise of what? The promise of salvation by faith in God. And so he, he brings unity to, so everybody, no matter where you come from, no matter what your nationality, no matter what your background is, you put your faith in, in Christ, now you are in Christ. You are a unit within Christ. You are part of Christ's body. Again, we call that the church as well. This is also what he talks about in chapter 3, which we're not going to spend any time on other than to say this. Paul talks about this mystery. Remember we talked about it in week 1. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. What's the mystery? Well, to be specific, Paul says, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. So part of this mystery is not just that Jesus came to die for our sins, which was part of the mystery. The other part of it is that Jews and Gentiles are of equal value to God. The Jews are like, what? We're, we're far more valuable. You chose us. You know, and I'm sure if God would answer, yeah, I chose you because I was going to use you to help what I'm doing. I, there wasn't special in you. Just like there's nothing special in anybody. It's because of His grace and His love and His mercy. And his desire to forgive that we have a relationship. And so he brings both groups to one. It's part of the mystery because nobody ever saw this coming. It's something that's abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. And it's important because, like I said before, some of the Jews thought they were a little more special than the Gentiles in the church. And some of the Gentiles didn't think they were so special because they weren't Jewish. And some Jews were saying to the Gentiles, you need to start following the Jewish law. They're bringing religion back into it. And Paul's trying to tell them, listen, God doesn't want that. God wants you putting your faith in Christ. That division is gone. This is how Peter puts it in 1 Peter. It says, be you our chosen race. There's that word, that new man. Chosen race. A royal priesthood. Wow, we're, we're all priests. A holy nation. A people for God's own possession so that you may do what? Proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are a people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's trying to tell the Jews and the Gentiles, Peter's trying to tell them, listen, we're all together in this. We're all part of one big body of Christ. So going with that then, it unites us in mission. So we're in Christ, and Peter kind of referenced it, we're now united together in a new mission in verses 19 and 22. So this will finish out the chapter.
says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens to what God was doing in the Old Testament, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, all those who have placed their faith in Christ, and are God's household. This is awesome. Not only citizens of the heavenly nation, if you want to call it that, but we're also God's household. We're, we're His kids. We're all siblings, which is pretty cool. We may not look alike physically, but we should begin to look alike spiritually. In other words, more and more like Jesus Christ, which we've talked about out of Romans 8. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, so all the teachers that talked about who uh, Christ was, Christ Jesus himself being a cornerstone, so he's the one who keeps everything straight and narrow, right? And gets, gets everything where it needs to be, and we build off of that. In whom the whole building, Jew and Gentile Christians, speaking in earthly terms, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. This is, this is beyond anything that we could have ever come up with, you guys. This is, this is beyond comprehension. Not only that, but it's beyond what we deserve. To be able to have a relationship with God and then for God to use us to make us um, part of heaven, to make us part of His body, to be His children, part of His family. Fitted together has this idea of carefully joining every component of a structure. So here's, here's God using Jesus as a cornerstone. And He's carefully, methodically placing every Christian from all different nations and all different backgrounds and He's placing them and He's building something. What's He building? He's building a dwelling of God. A place where God is going to dwell eternally. See, in the Old Testament, He dwelt in the in the temple. And so people had to come and see this God. But now, the holy temple is, is us. God's Holy Spirit's in us. Whether you guys like it or not, this baby right here, this is a temple. And I'm already close to heaven because I'm bald. You know, so, because everyone's going to be bald in heaven. I think I told you guys that. Everyone's going to have perfect heads and be bald. Some of us just got a head start on you. That's okay. This becomes the temple. This is not the temple, this building. This is not God's house. This is the structure, building, that God has given us for His temple to worship Him. But here's the deal. If this is the temple, where does my worship happen? If, if you are a follower of Christ and God's Spirit is in you and now you are a temple and part of the greater temple, where does worship happen? Everywhere. Think about that. You are a mobile worship center. Isn't that cool? You're walking around. I don't mean to be like, that's right. You know, I'm all that. I'm a temple. But we are a worship center. We've got God's Holy Spirit living in us. That means everything we do either worships Him or worships us. And there's no in-between. 
when we do life God's way, we're showing that we have faith in Him and we're worshiping Him. And He's happy with that. That's awesome. When we do life our way, we're showing that we don't trust Him and we are worshiping ourselves. And that's what He calls sin. Okay? But we are a mobile worship center. So everything that goes on in our lives, how we um, do our relationships, how we uh, interact with people, how we handle our finances, how we run our businesses, how we are an employee of a business that we might be working for, um, our marriages, uh, how we raise our kids, uh, kids, how we respond to our parents, how we drive. Um, you know, just think of it. Everything we do is a, po- a possible place for us to worship God. And we worship Him when we do it His way. That's why when we come together as a, as a bunch of little temples and we come together into one, like here, we worship God for what He's done for us. And so music becomes worship and the preaching time becomes worship and the serving time becomes worship. Everything we do becomes worship if we're doing it for God's sake, for, for Him. So what are the takeaways? I just put together uh, three. And I think what I'm going to do, Caleb, I'm just going to close out this morning. That's, I don't know where you're at. Okay. Uh, I'm going to close out this morning with these takeaways. Um, first one is just that. Your life is a worship center. So how you live life is your worship. So how are you doing with worshiping God? I had to remind myself this week that my time studying God's Word is actually worship. You wouldn't believe how frustrated I was getting this week trying to put this message together. For whatever reason, my mind was just not flowing right. Don't, no comments. And, um, and I just had to constantly remind myself, even this morning, just, Lord, I know this is time of worship. This is a time of worship. This is a time of worship. You do what you're going to do with your message. It's your Word. You're the teacher. And I kept on reminding myself of the truth from God's Word rather than working on the the anxiousness we talked about in Philippians 4, I was reminding myself of the truth over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. So if you ever think that Pastor Harold's little spiritualism, you need to do those things, I need to do those things on a regular basis. Especially every Sunday morning when I think I've got to get up here and tell you guys what God's Word says. It's a heavy burden. Um, I don't mind saying that. But how are we doing with worshiping? What area in your life do you look at and maybe God's talking to you about and saying, you know, hey, this area, you're not worshiping me in. And that's between you and God. You know, but what area or areas do you need to work on in order to truly worship the one you say you've placed your faith in? Secondly, Jesus is your peace. And if Jesus is your peace, so you've placed your faith in Christ, who are you holding at arm's length? Who are you? You've got God here, and you've got your arm, other arm here. Who is it in your life that you look at and you're just like, ah, I don't even know if I want to tell them about Jesus. How they've, how they've treated me, what they think of me, what they've said about me. Well, you know, whatever. The Jews didn't like the Gentiles because of how the Gentiles treated them. And they thought they were special. Jews thought they were special. 
And so they're going to hold God and they're going to put everybody else at arm's length. But if you've placed your faith in Christ, you have peace with God. And now Jesus says, I want to be your peace with other people. And the best way for you to have peace with people in your life who you're struggling with, who you're frustrated with, is begin putting God into that relationship. Put God into that conversation. Encourage them to come to Christ. Because when they, put, they, they come to Christ, what happens? They become part of His family. They become part of... You know, one of the cool things, we talk about this with my, my kids. You know, so Sarah, Hagen, and Ellie are my kids, but they're also my, my sisters and my brother in Christ. That's just kind of a cool relationship, right? Um, and I'm the older brother, so I can beat him up. That's fine. And God says that. You know. Second hesitation, 6-9, I think is, is what it says there. And then the last one is this. This kind of goes back to what we've talked about in the last couple of verses. Or last uh, week, actually. Obedience brings confidence. Seeing is believing. These two top ones are hard. It's hard to stop worshiping yourself. It's hard to love people who we don't really like. And so it's hard. And we're frustrated by it. We don't really want to do it. And it's scary. And we're like, I'm not sure if I can do it. And I'm really sure, God, you really want me to do it. But if we don't do it, we don't see Him at work. And if we don't see Him at work, it's hard for us to really believe that He can do these things. And when we see Him do these things, suddenly our confidence in Him just grows. Seeing is believing. And not only that, but seeing is believing as people see that in us, they're going to wonder, what kind of God is it that you worship? What is this? So now we can go and tell them. We have an awesome God. Next week, we're going to be looking into, uh, we're going to finish up chapter 3 and go into chapter 4. And and this obedience part, that's what 4 through 6 is all about. God's going to say, okay, here's where you might be worshiping yourself, and here I want you, this is how I want you to worship me. And so our sacrifices, our worship of God, is going to happen four through six in all these different areas of our lives. And we'll step on everybody's toes, including, including mine. You may want to bring some steel-toed boots. Um, we're all going to get our toes stepped on because none of us are perfect, right? So, anyways, next week we'll end up in chapter, we'll finish up chapter three real quick, then go into chapter four. Let's go ahead and stand. Let me close in prayer. And let you.